Okay, well, we're here at the uh, the Limehouse podcast, the first ever one, you lucky, lucky so-and-sos. I'm here with Bobby Dean. Bobby, say hello. Hello. Bobby, how do I know you? So, I think we met somewhere in southeast London in a pub, yeah. probably. Yeah. Um, not an ordinary pub event, uh, one with lots of political geeks. Yeah, no, I think the first person I, I saw from across a, a crowded room was your glossy, silky Adam Lalana hairstyle. And I thought, my God, that man is young. He's dynamic. He's surely dynamic and political. I must go over and chit-chat with him. I can't remember what the first said to you. Maybe it was something about... I can't remember either, but I do remember being happy to see younger faces in the room. He wasn't the only younger face in the room, actually, so we've had a bit of surge of younger faces in recently. But, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, yeah it, was good, it was good to get into conversation with someone my own age, rough, yeah. roughly. So, I mean, I, I joined the party, the Liberal Democrats, in June, right after Glastonbury. So that's what that's just over six months ago and it feels like about five years ago um how long have you been in the party uh so i joined in 2010 so six years almost now so all coming up to seven years i guess now wow um i was quite young when i joined i was 20 uh i was at university in the area and there was Mm. a general election on and i was a politics student so i thought i should get involved blimey riley so like just just to give anybody who's listening a rough idea of what what we're about. I got, I've always been a bit of an armchair politician, probably because of my dad, bless his heart. Um, and I just, Brexit just really just did it for me. What what brought you into the party? Yeah, I mean, I'd say I'd probably had the opposite background. Um, none of my family were political and I didn't grow up in a political environment, had no interest in it really. Kind of fell into it when I got into college and eventually university um and then the way I found my way into the party was that there was an election on while I was studying and I felt like well if I'm studying it I need to get involved so I looked at all of the party's manifestos and um the Lib Dems just seemed best for me at the time um it might be because I grew up under new labour and watched that fall apart and uh I'm proud of my working class roots I don't think I'd ever be associated with the Conservative Party so the Lib Dems are the best fit really I mean, like, I, I feel that the, the face of the party has changed quite a lot since, obviously, it's changed a lot since 2010. But I mean, under Tim Farron, it's taking, and with maybe the tide of Brexit, it's all, the Liberal Democrats are starting to change a different brand almost behind them. But because of the 48, what, the 48 versus the 52, um, which, which is kind of cool. I think Tim's, Tim Farron's slowly kind of gaining a bit of momentum. Yeah, I, I would agree with that, but I wouldn't want to put it just down to Brexit either. Obviously, that's been a big uh, thing for us in terms of getting some publicity and uh, making people realise we're the right party for them. But there's there's lots of other things as well. I mean, a lot of the work that we did in coalition, we weren't getting credit for. That was partly because we were talking about stuff that we'd stopped, but we had no evidence for it. Now the Conservatives are in on their own. There's evidence for that stuff we stopped because they're doing it. And people are kind of realising, oh, we did do a good job in there. Um, and the other thing is we grew up a lot as a party professionally. Uh, you know, we went in there as a bit of a protest party. Um, things like our press operation or whatever were criticised early on in the coalition years. And now you see on Twitter, you know, people like Kevin Maguire saying that we've got the best press operation going in politics. Um, always quick to respond, certainly quicker than Jeremy Corbyn's Labour and so on. So I think we did a, a lot of sort of growing up and understanding what government looks like as well so we can compete on that front too now yeah so that's 
that's good i mean like i think people are getting a rough idea where we're coming from but um I just want to like maybe ask about some local issues, particularly today that came up in the news uh, about renters' rights, uh, letting agents and uh, rogue landlords and stuff. Maybe just give uh, the people a bit of a lowdown on that, if you might. Yeah, I mean, I think this is an issue that our party as a whole wants to to take on and it's just going to get bigger and bigger because the number of people that are trapped and not there by choice in the private rental market now um, is, is increasing by the day. There's there's a few problems with um, the rental market. I mean, it's the most expensive housing market to be in. It's the least secure um, and it's the, the least safe if you want to talk about conditions as well. Um, and I really kind of want to put that at the centre of my campaign because I feel like nobody's really speaking up for that voice. I know there's a large proportion of um, private rented people that will be there voting in Broccoli yeah. and I'm a renter myself and I've experienced firsthand all the issues that there are in the market and too many young people like me have had their aspirations capped. Yeah so when we say campaigning Bobby um, we should probably point out Bobby is a PPC what what does a PPC stand for? It means prospective parliamentary candidate which basically means that I will try and be the MP for this local area. And your lo- the local area is Lewisham Deptford. Uh, of course it is. Yeah. yeah. I I'm I'm playing dumb here. I knew all that. Yeah. Yeah, I totally knew this all is that. Just, this so, is just this is just for the uh, listener. Yeah. This is uh, and Rosie my dog on the sofa next to us. Why, why should I care if someone's uh, in, in sort of like a slightly vulnerable situation in, in letting or in renting? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's only going to become a problem for wider society if people are going to be sort of trapped in the conditions they have to live in now. Um, I mean, I think the, the, the most salient one for a lot of people is security, actually. Um, you know, you tend to sign up to a six-month contract. After that, it might go rolling. Very occasionally, you might get extended contracts of a year or two years. Um, But if you think about planning out your life and not being able to afford to save up for a deposit to get a home because of how expensive the sector is, then you don't get a lot of security there. Um, I'm going to turn 27 this year, which isn't that old, I know, but it is the start of the sort of time that I'm going to start to think about the future of a family. Um, and you know you can't really bring a family into a situation where you might have to move house of in every sort of year or two um, which is what I've had to do since I've been in London I've been in London eight years and I've probably moved about seven times Um, so security is a big one Um, but at the other end of the scale because of the lack of regulation in the sector um, you've got people living in really poor conditions Um, I'm talking about sort of basic needs of a house not being met, not not having the checks on electricity and gas, leaking roofs, um, mould that's getting out of control, things like that. Because it's just under regulation in general at the, at the bottom end of the scale, um, that, that's going on. Um, yeah. Why, why hasn't anything been done about it? Um, I think it's, it's mainly because it's happened quite slowly and quite quickly at the same time. So if you look over the last sort of 30 years, you've only got to go back 20 years in history and the private rental market is very, very small. Um, it's mainly seen as a transitional market. You know, you get younger couples and so on, move into there, save up for their deposit in their homes, move into private sector housing. Uh, also, sort of 20, 30 years ago, you had a lot more social housing available. So those that are really in need could get a house from the government. Yeah. And now we've been selling off our social housing and not replacing it meanwhile the private sector market is getting out of control so prices are going up and up and up and pricing out further amount of people so that's leaving a much bigger proportion of people and in london in particular 
when there's an extreme bubble with this because you've got a lot more buy to let landlords by which i mean people are buying properties specifically to let them out um, and getting loans out to do that and also just invested landlords that are buying up properties and kind of leaving properties empty and so on and exacerbating that market here in london sorry just to interrupt but buying up land and just sitting on it and waiting for it to become more valuable more more valuable valuable. so that's obviously reducing the supply of housing in london as well and and the combined effect of all that means that now all of a sudden prices are rising very very rapidly i've been in living in london for eight nine years and uh i could used to be able to get a house of a similar sort of condition to one i'm living in now for 450 pound a month i'm now uh, paying in excess of 700 pounds a month so it's and and you can imagine the people that are being forced out of london because of that and you can imagine um the people that are just struggling and uh, becoming homeless i mean if you speak to charities like shelter young families that are coming in now are in work but cannot afford properties in the places that they live and work anymore. But yeah, then the situation is severe. I think politics is behind it to a degree because the two largest political institutions in the country have traditionally done two things. One defends landlords and property owners and promotes property ownership and kind of forgets about the people that are not even aspiring to do that or can't aspire to do that. Um, and the other one wants to focus very much on social tenants and the welfare state. Hmm. Um, and would Social, rather- social tenants... Yeah, so people that are renting from the government or are getting okay. getting housing benefit mm-hmm. and want to look at that as the way of treating the problem. Um, the issue there is we kind of invented housing benefit because we realised we didn't have enough social housing available and therefore some people have to go into the private sector market and have the rents topped up by yeah. housing benefit. But that's created a bit of a perverse incentive for the market because they can continually put up prices and the government's going to fit the bill. Yeah. At the same time, you go to a lot of agents and they won't let to people that have got housing benefit as part of their income. Um, so they, they, Why? Because they're risk or what? Yeah, they just see them as a, a risk and also lots of the stigma attached to people that are on benefits and yeah. so on. Um, so that is something that's just not working out at all now. and It's just pushing up rent prices all the time. Is it? I mean, for me, it's all just—it's all just going to the job centre and getting a job that f- five, ten years ago would be like, yeah, you know, I can, I can do this now. I, I can, I can function. You know, I've got a level of pride. I've got a level of dignity. But now it just seems to me that you, you could be on thirty k, you know, and reach the age of 35, 30, even your age, maybe twenty-seven, and go, well, yeah, yeah, I'm earning, I'm earning enough now. Let, let's let's think about saving. You can't do that in London. No. You can't you can't you can't do that on 30 grand a year and rent and save, right? No, you 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 living month to month. Um yeah, I mean I I talk about my personal experiences sometimes, but I know that I'm in the kind of middle of the scale here. I know that actually I'm quite happy with the job I'm in and that I I know that I'm earning a reasonable wage for London. I'm by no means in the worst condition, but I am still living month to month. You know, once that rent and bills goes out the door, plus your sort of regular food bills and so on, there isn't a a lot to spare. And it is often that last week that I'm just trying to make it through to the the next payday. Um, And in that sort of situation, it is impossible to save. And therefore my aspirations of owning a home are are nil at the moment they are nil i don't imagine a future of being able to own a home and that is something that's changed within a generation and we should not just accept as what happens um 
you know, some people want to sort of propose the idea like, oh, but look at the continent, you know, lots of people rent, just, rent Germany, people yeah. just rent. Yeah. So, you yeah. know, maybe we as a nation need to get used to that idea. But I tend to think that comment comes from people that are already comfortable in their own sort of <laughs> own occupied properties. I, yeah, and, I, I, and, and why should my generation be robbed of that opportunity that my parents had? I know, I agree completely. And I think it offers a level of security that we can't, we can't turn our backs on. I think it's also, it's quite, I mean... It's quite interesting these these plans that have been announced today about um, affordable homes. You know, it does seem to me. What was it we we were, saw saw on Channel Four News just a few minutes ago? Absolutely. So this is the Start Homes initiative you're talking about, which they're, they're offering some sort of like twenty percent discount on market value. They but that's twenty percent of, of nothing. That's of course, sort of yeah, nothing of like a million. It's, like, it's nothing. So like, might as well just say, you know, twenty uh, percent of a. I can't even. I can't even equate it to anything. I'm so. I'm so bloody riled, Bobby. <laughs> I, I. I mean, I agree, and and this is what the government keeps coming out with. I mean, the last thing that they come out with was help to buy, which actually just expired recently, uh, yeah. a couple of weeks ago. But that was the idea that the government will help you and you can get a, a deposit on a house for just five percent because banks yeah. are not offering that sort of uh, mortgage anymore but even then five percent of what as you say like if a, if a one bedroom flat in the area that i live in is going to be 300 grand five percent of that is 15 grand and well that's impossible yeah. for me to save up and get but what that does sound like when they're talking to voters is that they're supporting people into buying homes but it fundamentally misunderstands the problem of housing in this country what they're doing there is trying to sort of support a small area of demand when really what they need to be doing is addressing the drastic supply problem that we have um, we've been told for over a decade now so this is a new Labour problem, this is a coalition problem, this is a new Conservative government problem we just haven't solved. We have not stimulated the private sector market to build enough homes. Yeah. We are massively, massively behind on our supply of homes, which means that everything else we're doing with the sort of de- demand side of things is just fiddling around. We need to be building homes on a scale that's unprecedented in, in, in recent history. We need to be going back to sort of almost post-war house building schemes uh, where we're building 300,000 homes a year. Um, yeah. It's what we need to be aiming for. So we're going to broaden it out now to progressive uh, politics, prog- uh, the, the more united, compass, that kind of thing. Um, I mean, my, my first thing was when I progressive when I, when I was at Glastonbury Festival years before that it kind of like was a in a, in a nutshell it was kind of like along along the lines with with proportional representation you know trying to forge a sort of a politics that people of a young generation of, of a progressive generation could look at and go be a bit more proud of be a bit more engaged with to be honest we're coming from this from a liberal background we recently had the Richmond by-election where the Greens stepped aside, um, which was cool, I thought. What What were your feelings about the Richmond by-election and that sort of... Yeah, I mean, I thought that what the Greens did in that circumstance was very good. I think Labour probably should have done it as well because from the start, it looked incredibly tight. As it happens, we run such a good campaign and won by such a margin that who knows if the Greens were involved as well, that would have made a difference or not in the end. Uh, But that's not the point. The point is that as we started out, we started thousands and thousands behind and and it seemed like getting rid of a Brexit billionaire bloke like Zach Goldsmith who just ran a campaign he had in London would be a very, very good idea for people that are progressive. Yeah. Um, So I'm really happy with that decision they took. Um, 
I guess my nervousness about progressive alliance as a thing is is that some people seem to be intimating that it needs to happen on a national scale and needs to be some sort of grand deal as we go into the next election. I think they're much better off being agreed on sort of a candidate by candidate, constituency by constituency basis to, yeah. to avoid the sort of dangers and pitfalls of there being a grand deal that collapses because somebody doesn't like something that happened in one particular local area. So you feel like there are too many, mo- like they're, they're, there's possibly too many moving parts to make it a solid, a solid thing for the future. Some of the mantra around progressive alliance with a capital P and a capital A is that we need to shut out the Tories. Yeah, yeah. And I think that is off putting to to some voters. Um, bear in mind that the Conservatives are in right now because um, voters are voting for them. Yeah. And if we have kind of a left wing bias to the Progressive Alliance to the extent where it's just we don't like Tories full stop and we need to stop Tories full stop, then it won't work. If yeah. it is, you know on a candidate by candidate basis or constituent constituency basis we think we it's better if we step aside for this party or this person that's much better well, that- because their agenda is more in keeping with something that is center left or left um or, or no one- because because of the values that we want so for instance this is where i think more united are getting it right they are not saying that we will support labor lib dems and Greens, and fuck the Tories, we will never support them. They are saying we are apolitical. We're going to back the candidate that has the best chance of winning and has these values that they sign up to. Okay, so it's value-based then, yeah? Yeah, Yeah. values-based. And those are progressive values as well. Yeah. Um, And I think some people on the left need to come to terms with the fact that there are some people that are on the progressive side of the Conservative Party, and as a Liberal... Um, there are some progressive conservatives that I'd much rather have than some of the more liberal. For me, Anna, Anna Subri, yeah, progressive, right? She speaks her mind. She, she's she's a wacky, she's a wacky girl. Um, and there are some wacky boys. Lemba Opec, not in the party anymore, but still wacky as hell. If if there is going to be progressive politics, proportional respect for proportional representation, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, um, we need to engage with those people and stop saying that. Um, you know these Tories are they're out for for blood they're the nasty party there are people such as Amber Rudd uh, Liz Truss etc mm-hmm. etc who can't stand up for judges and um, want all foreign workers out on mm-hmm. their ear yeah I guess in principle this is this is what I'm getting uh, across like I, I am not ashamed whatsoever of the fact that we went into the coalition conservative government. I felt like it was the right thing to do and I felt like it's not intolerable to be working with a party uh, that, that you disagree with. And I would remain in that position in the future. However, I guess if we're talking about wanting a more plural style of politics, the means to achieving that is proportional representation. <laughs> Okay, well, I hope you enjoyed that segment of the show. Just going to try something a little different now. I'm going to drop in an interview with Neil Lawson, the head of Compass, Progressive Alliance, Progressive Politics, rather in keeping with what we've just been banging on about. Well, I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. Cheers! I was brought up in largely a very kind of working class, but comfortable working class, very well supported, very well loved and cared for kind of family. And I've grown up with a sense, 
and I got from the values I got was that you always look after other people, you always put other people before yourself. Mm. Um, and um, that kind of like rubbed off on me. And I've got, I've got quite an inexhaustible sense of kind of love for people. You know, I've, yeah. I, I believe in people. I think everyone is fantastic and everyone deserves a chance and should be given multiple chances. And that we, you know, if you believe the best in people, there'll always be a, a small bunch that will let you down. But actually, most people will respond to that. Yeah. You know, so I, I kind of driven by a very sort of humanistic, you know, sort of ethical, sort of quasi-spiritual a bit kind of sense. I'm not religious, but, you know. Yeah, but I think but, that's a lot of people were drawing from that now. I think more and more, advent of, well, not advent, but the realisation of Donald Trump. Yeah. People are starting to go, never been religious before, but holy yeah. shit. Jeremy Corbyn is someone that I, I can't quite get my head around in yeah. terms of the tribalism that he seems to want to let go of, but can't let go of. Yeah. So cross-party alliances, and yeah. someone like Clive is, is really on board with it, yeah. but someone like Jeremy saying, not having it, yeah. where, where does that leave you feeling? Uh, it leaves me feeling that I'm very glad that Clive Lewis is about, you know, and Caroline Lucas is about, you know, and yeah. you know a whole range of people. That recognise that that sense of humanity, that sense of love and care for others, you know, has to cross party, you know, tribal boundaries. Mm. You know, I can't, you know, feel any more or less affectionate about someone in the Green Party or the Liberal Democrats or, you know, or, or anyone else. You know, yeah. I think that this politics of division, you know, and of othering groups politically, socially, economically, culturally, or whatever, is terrible. Um, and you know, the more you know, so that we have a term in Compass, it's called the Open Tribe, which sort of recognises... The Open Tribe. Open Tribe, yeah, which is yeah. supposed to recognise that we come from a place. You come from the Liberal Democrats, I come from the Labour Party, other people come from single-issue causes or, you know, whatever it is. You come yeah. from a place, but unless you're open to others and welcoming of others... You say we don't, we don't kind of dismiss tribalism, as I say, we come from somewhere, yeah. but, you know, the, the tribes that s survive and thrive are the ones that open... If you're just closed, the DNA just dies. There's no vitality, there's no experimentation, there's yeah. no adaptation. So how can you kind of open yourself out, remain true to your kind of core values and where you come from, but open yourself out to others and push yourself to be tested, you know, and developed and uh, Do you, work? I mean, you're saying that, you know, uh, Progressive Alliance and Compass is really, like, people want to know, Yeah. you know, which is a great, it's a great thing. Mm. In 20 years' time, uh, is this... How do you fit in 20 years' time? Are we going to be... We gonna I, don't be know, I don't know. We were talking football earlier before we turned the recorder on and no-one could see Leicester winning the Premiership, you know, and no-one yeah. could see Brexit happening, really, and Trump and whatever. You know, you can guess at these things. So I don't think we know... I think we know that the, the culture in which we operate in now means that things happen really fast and things happen via, you know, by networks, by, by negotiation, you know, by collaboration that no one's in control, no one's commanding, that the levers you pull in life, in work, in politics or whatever, tend not to work. It's all about relationships. And that cultural kind of 21st century sweep is going to keep on, you know, we can't run away from that. We have to yeah. embrace it yeah. and we have to work out how to work with it. And, you know, and Trump and Farage and people like that are the morbid symptoms of, a, of an age that's dying mm. where people are thrashing around trying to find simple answers, strongman answers, etc. But it won't work, you know, yeah. and we'll have to go through that process of finding out that it doesn't work. Do you, do you feel like maybe this is your time, now all this, this stuff has happened, it's your time almost 
I mean, Mark said we make history, but not in conditions of our own choosing. You know, in some senses, that immediate stuff, I mean, I think Corbyn, you know, isn't going to work. You know, I think that's pretty self-evident. I don't think Trump's going to work. We need a kind of modern, progressive formulation. That doesn't, that isn't a, you know, Blair's going to end re-enter the political scene, you know, in 2017. That isn't going to work, you know, because that was part of the reason for the, you know, why the world was poisoned in the first place, because that centrism doesn't, you know, there isn't a place for that. Well, he has no self-awareness as well. Neoliberalism, capitalism in its now raw form is not going to... Um, uh, you know, it's not going to deliver for people. It isn't going to stop. You know, it isn't going to stop climate change. Yeah. You know, so we're going to have to. Either things are going to get very much better, in which we sort these things out, or they'll get very much worse. Yeah. It won't be just a sort of fudge around the centre of a few mild reforms and a few competent people. It's going to require a different form of politics. Representative democracy has reached its limits. We need to find other forms of democracy. You know, runaway markets have reached their limits in climate and in inequality. We need to find other ways of doing these things yeah. and like and what we're trying to do is experiment with a new politics which breaks the old system changes the system so you can change society yeah and, and i think more and more people are becoming aware of that and are doing it in different places the question is can you join them up into something which is more coherent more forceful and can make a breakthrough where do you where does compass fit in all of this because you've got like people like more united paddy ashton and all yeah that, all that lot. yeah the guy from the kooks and, and stuff and they seem to be on the same wavelength. Yeah, they, they, well, they are and they aren't. I mean, so, I, don't, yeah. I don't want to kind of go into... I mean, I, you know, I, I see politics um, as an ecology. Just so you know, if you don't want anything to be on this podcast... I no, 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 no. I, 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 I think there's no point in not saying what you believe, really. Yeah. So, um, uh, I won't say everything I believe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but almost everything. Later so, orient a scum. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck the O's. <laughs> yeah. I've got quite a soft spot for a late in Orient, really. Um, uh, it's Crystal Palace. No, I'm joking. <laughs> I love Crystal Palace fans. Um, they'll attract some people and get some people and do some good in places, and that's yeah. fine. And we can be generous towards them, and they can be generous towards us, and we can realise there are some things we can play off and work to together. But I'm interested in a more radical form of new settlement or of British politics, which I don't think they're going to prosecute. You know, but that, yeah. they don't. That doesn't make them my enemy. That makes them, you know, people who are part of the ecology that we need to work out how we negotiate a better future with. But is there like sort of like are you, you talk about forty-five degree politics? Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. What 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 does what is forty-five degree <laughs> politics? It's really simple. It's the only. Like, I'm trying to learn how to do things simply. So we believe that things change when. Um, movements from the kind of bottom-up, grassroots, horizontal meet forces and organisations that are kind of vertical, states, corporations, etc. Okay. Because on, so the 45-degree bit is just the meeting point between the horizontal and the vertical. Oh, I see. And we think on that fault line, that's where kind of transformatory change is going to happen. Because if, you know, things bubble up, Arab Springs, Occupy, UK Uncut, you know, all sorts of, you know, uh, Citizens UK, all sorts of great things happen. But unless you've got the state to work with them, to facilitate it, to provide the resources and the spaces, you know, they, they tend not to last. Yeah. And, but if you just rely on the top-down thing, it's got no energy or life or isn't, it isn't sustainable yeah. e either. 
So, so uh, the analogy we use is there's lots of fireworks in, in, in politics in the 21st century. There's darkness, something happens, the sky's lit up, and you see the train ahead of you, then all of a sudden it goes back to darkness again. You know, as I say, oh, Occupy, okay. you know, books that come out like Piketty or the spirit level or, you know, surges around the, the different parties and it all, you know, then, then all of a sudden it, it dies off again. And we're back to square one. You're back to square one and you're back to darkness. And how do you move from fireworks to floodlights? How do you keep the light burning yeah. so that people can see where they're going and understand the lie of the land ahead of them and can head broadly in the right direction? Yeah. And they have to have a compass in their hand to do that. As my little, but, no, but so that, so that, that, you know, so it's trying to work through what the sentiment, culture, and organisational structure is for forty-five degree politics. That's what we're trying to work our way through. I'm from the basis where I was fighting for proportional representation yeah. all those years ago and Billy Bragg was talking about it when yeah. you know when the, the Tories threw the Lib Dems a bone and um, do you feel like the resistance you get is just that's just hippie bollocks that's just hippie nonsense what are you doing you know yeah there is a yeah there, there is a there, there is a bit of that um, and I think we have to turn it in from hippie bollocks into this is the governance system of the 21st century, the kind of plural, democratic, negotiated, relational way of doing things yeah. is, is the sentiment, not just for politics, but it's how companies will operate, it's about how families, the, the idea that the strong father is now the boss of the family as opposed to negotiated settlements within families. Okay. The same thing works in, in uh, uh, corporations, in business, in, in civil society, in the public sector through ideas like co-production you know we've all got a voice and a say right and and you know you've got your little iphone thing there before you like so we know everything we can talk to anyone we can understand anything we can make organizing is you know brilliantly simple and easy yeah. so that you know that we've moved away we call it the kind of culture of facebook you know where you're talking and interacting or whatever compared to the culture of the factory where you was told what to do and you were a cog in the machine. Yeah. That era is dying and a new era of flower structures where we negotiate our future is opening up in every aspect of our lives. We think yeah. that's the sentiment of the 21st century. No, and you know. can't stop that. Yeah. It's how you, you know, that can be owned and controlled by Apple and Google and Amazon or whatever, or it can be made public and used by the public for the public good. And that's the battle and the terrain of the 21st century. Yeah, that must be something that scares, scares the bejesus out of most governments though, right? I mean... Yeah, because they, they're part of the old world. Yeah. They want to control, they want to tell you what's good for you, and you'll vote for them, and yeah. then in four years' time they'll deliver for you, and then you'll vote for them again. And that's, that, you know, that's why... Jeremy Corbyn and a whole load of people don't like it yeah. because it's not about them anymore. It's about the people and it's about how citizens collectively make decisions which is for the common good. Yeah. And that's a completely different governing sentiment than we've had today. Brexit is a, a wake-up call for the left. Yeah. So, I, I, you know, obviously it's a bloody wake-up call. Yeah. But how in the name of God was it? Why were we asleep? Where where were we? What were we doing? Yeah, you know, yeah, from, yeah. from your perspective, I don't think you you were shocked by Brexit. Were no, you? I wasn't. No, no, I wasn't. No, and I wasn't shocked by Trump either. Yeah. Um, uh, and obviously, you use things to try and you know carry your same message you've always been saying on, and you know Brexit allowed us to do that. But but you know the politicians were playing the same game. They had a you know the rule book of winning elections from '97 yeah. through to. Cameron through to this one were sliced and diced the electorate, put the fear of God into them, 
you know, di dissect them, target your messages, you know, tell them the economy yeah. is everything, you know, and they played exactly the same thing. And the people of, you know, that, and this is why Tony Blair coming back isn't going to work, because he doesn't know what to yeah. do other than that, right? Right. You know, and, and the notions of identity, of culture, of being marginalised, of being humiliated, of any change being better than what you've got now, any change. Leaping into the darkness of Brexit was better than, you know, what was happening to those people. Yeah. And like, you know, you haven't got to be, you know, I don't live in that world anymore, you know, but you don't have to be, you know, you can't be so disconnected that you can't understand that sense of alienation and frustration yeah. and humiliation that this wasn't going to come back and bite us. Absolutely. But, I mean, my, my feeling is that um, the left wasn't doing enough. Is that okay to say that? Were we not... Well, because we we've not... become too centrist. We decided yeah. that the best you could do was to humanise neoliberalism. Yeah. You know, and you can't humanise neoliberalism because it doesn't want to be humanised. It wants to eat up all the terrain to commodify and commercialise everything to make sure that there are, you know, winners that take everything and the losers can you know go hang and they've got nowhere else to go and within our first past the post system the assumption of new labor was that we can head towards the center and those people have got nothing else to vote for and the people either didn't you know ended up not voting for anyone you know or they ended up voting for UKIP yeah you know and see so it always comes things always come back to bite you you know unless you treat people with respect and care and whatever and this has massively come back to bite us new labor poisoned the well of our political system the Tories did it as well yeah. you know they're all guilty of this stuff you know because they're not treating people with respect they're not working together they're not doing things long term yeah. you know and until we do things properly then we'll still we'll keep stoking up this resentment fear you know sense of insecurity which is going to play to the authority this is right and this is before Aaron Banks launches his people's movement you know and whatever else and they're yeah. so right to be taken in that direction it's really scary that's why we've yeah. got to have a progressive alliance a proper one, otherwise the regressive alliance is going to tear this country apart. Do you think it needs a figurehead? Do you think the progressive alliance... Yeah, yeah you, you, you do, but not in the... Yeah, I mean, you mentioned Clive Lewis earlier. He'd be, a, he'd, he'd be a great sort of figurehead because he doesn't take himself too seriously. He's yeah. quite, a, you know... He's got a solid background as well. He's got, he's got a great backstory, you know, working class, you know, I, Midlands right. family, you know, uh, you know, mixed race parents, you know, uh, uh, active service in Afghanistan, yeah. been a journalist, done different things, you know. But, like, you can't... This isn't... You, know, you, you need a kind of relationship between... You know, leaders who want to who aren't in it for themselves. It's not about their ego. It's about facilitating the spaces and the resources for us to be actively involved in the creation of the good society. Yeah. And I think someone like Clive broadly gets that. You know, yeah. you need some ego to stand on the stage and give it the give it the big and you know and I'm not saying yeah. that he doesn't have that I don't have it at all I'm completely and utterly humble about everything I do and I'm just here to serve the, the interests of the people yeah. but Cl I'm joking obviously Clive Clive is <laughs> just in case anyone thought I was being serious and, but Clive you know but Clive and others have got that sense of what it is to be a leader in the 21st century and it's not yeah. Tony Blair you know why don't we put Tim Farron Clive Lewis and Caroline Lucas you know and and um, uh, you know the, the SNP together Nicola into something which is kind of you know going to pull us back in the other direction because that's yeah. the only thing that's going to. How how do Compass reach out? How how do you re are you doing that? Are you what? Who are you talking to? I mean, yeah. can we talk about who you 
who you want to talk to and who you are talking to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, in a sense, we've, we've, you know, we're, we're on a journey. Compass started as an essentially Labour organisation. You've sort of had to be a member of the Labour Party to, to be active within Compass. And then we found loads of people outside of the Labour Party we agreed with more than we agreed with some people within the, you know, the Labour Party. So we changed, painfully, in 2011, we changed our rules, our members did, you know, voted to do it, to say it didn't matter what party you belonged to, which is the first step in the kind of road to big cultural change for an organisation, you know, to do that and to welcome in Liberal Democrats, Greens, SNP, Plaid, Women's Equality Party, you know, etc, etc. We've become such a richer organisation because we've opened ourselves up to those different voices yeah. and can understand the world in in, in all of its complexity. Uh, clearly that's not enough. How do you get out to other civil society organisations, um, you know, uh, community groups, etc. So one of the things we did post-Brexit, you know, we um, went and recruited some local residents down in Barking to sort of, you know, who, vote, who were all solidly uh, Brexit and put them in a room together for a night and gave them some pizza and listened to them about, you know, wh why did they vote? You know, what do they think? You know, how do they feel? And they're kind of like... The cleverness and the and the and the astuteness and the awareness of the people was incredible. But the world's not working for them. You know, their wages are too low, their rents too high. There's no good public services. You know, they're they're pretty desperate. You know, and you can yeah. understand why they. You know, so we're you know as much as we can for a small organisation. We're trying to kind of hear different voices because yeah. you you know and you always like debate with your enemy or your opponent because that's when you learn. Mm. You know, when you get challenged yourself and. And I and but the but the bigger point about the technology. I mean, I get this a lot because we're quite interested in technology and how it could be a, a, of of assistance to a progressive politics. And everyone goes and then they say, you know, oh yeah, but it's just an echo chamber and you know, social media and you know, people talk to themselves and whatever. You know, I say to you, well, give us your phone then. Let's not have it anymore. You know, I mean, give yeah. you know, give up on it. It's yeah. the it's the culture and the technology of the moment and the future. Whether we like it or not, right? It's not going to go away, yeah. and we have to work out how we bend it to our values. That's the only struggle that there is, really. Yeah. Um, and and moaning about it, and I understand its downsides. Is how do you organise around it politically and use it for your ends? Yeah. We just got to get on and do that, you know, as effectively as possible, yeah. and not, you know, and try and get out of our bubbles and our whatever. But you know, people have always been in bubbles and echo chambers or whatever. But you know, it's there. Let's use it. So, what about people that want to get involved in Compass? How can they do that? Um, you can go to our website, which is www something something it's uh, it's compass online or word dot org dot uk you can find us on facebook you can find us on twitter um uh where you know we want people to set up local progressive alliance groups we want people to help with how we frame this we need you know we and you know since brexit and Compass, when he decided that it wasn't solely Labour, went into slight sort of doldrums because people didn't understand, you know, how we were going to influence things. If you're not just going to influence stuff through the Labour Party, what are you? And we're going, well, we need this progressive alliance. And until Brexit, no one got it. And then when Brexit happened, you know, people have been switched on. So people have been calling, getting involved, setting up local groups, you know, wanting to help, you know, et cetera, et cetera, which is great, you know. So um, in terms of, like, if someone's listening to this, they're going, how do I get involved in my local community? Um, how I mean is that is it all via website? Do they... Yeah, and we've got like, there are local groups in yeah. the not everywhere, but 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 more are springing up. And what's really nice is there, you know, we get in touch, people get in touch. So I've just started a progressive alliance group in Tunbridge Wells or whatever, you know. Yeah. And and we just had a by election in Telford last night, and we did a deal with the Liberal Democrats and the Greens and whatever yeah. because people are you know 
this isn't we can't orchestrate this this is just too big and you know too amazing you know yeah. so, but it's all bubbling up and it's all happening um, which is you know really interesting and kind of like so how do you how do we all surf that wave and direct it mm. to be more effective and you know it's an interesting challenge which we're trying to work out how to do it so do you think in like 20 years time or whatever 30 years um is there'll be someone else working at a book pulping factory if we do indeed have books yeah you know, yeah physical books and they'll be get taking your yeah book. I hope so yeah um, yeah one, one look, might... looking at the great the great uh, yeah. not not in a negative way but you know just in a, do you think there'll be someone working 17 18 years old and they'll find this book oh you know compass or progressive alliance and they'll take it home and that will for you would be you know like yeah that, and that is honestly the most you know the, the most important thing to me is so you always remember the people in the incidences that kind of you know brought you on and the people who mentored you and the people who gave you inspiration and yeah. you know all of that you know and that's you know we're all turning the wheel we're all kind of pushing it you know trying to push it forward and make the world a better place yeah. sometimes that's really hard work sometimes you have the wind in your sails and it becomes easier yeah. but you know but but doing your bit during your life the best you can and encouraging others to, to do it with you and do it better and you know bigger and whatever that's got to be the best thing you can possibly do right well, absolutely so we all hold on to that don't yeah we? well i don't know i think you know and 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 you know in some senses you know um uh there's a kind of you know there there can be a culture of contentment that you know that doesn't stir people interaction well climate change there'll be another financial crash we've had brexit we've had trump you know, our enemies, you know, could start wearing uniforms at some stage in the not too distant future. There is a really, you know, that, you know, the machines are coming, the robots are on the march, you know, there could be food riots. There are issues that we have to solve politically yeah. about how we distribute the wealth of our, you know, of our, of our world and our country without destroying the planet. Yeah. You know, we need a politics that's going to deal with that and, 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 and establish us as kind of fully flourishing human beings with all the love, care and generosity that we have. Now that's, you know, that's becoming imminent. We can't hide from that much yeah, anymore. No. So let's, I, let's do it. Who are your heroes? My hero for when I was young, when I first joined the Labour Party, was undoubtedly Tony Benn. Yeah, undoubtedly, you know, and I think looking back, there's a level of naivety about Ben's politics, but there's also, you know, he inspired me, you know, and fired me up um, when I was a kid, and that was, you know, that's an invaluable thing. A beautiful speaker, you know, a, a, a you know, great orator, made the world feel simple and change doable. I think mm. he never he never went beyond that, but like played an amazing an amazing role. There's a particular um, sociologist, a guy called Zygmunt Bauman, who's a Polish. Um, sociologist who has been the most profound intellectual impact on my life he talks about um, uh, the, uh, the switch from a producer society to a consumer society and there's the my, my book that's been pulped is one on consumer society and the kind of ravages of what it does to us and how it kind of it both kind of individualizes and gets us to compete with each other but it humiliates the people who can't um, be effective um, shoppers consumers and how we hate what drives us on to be on the treadmill of uh, the consumer society is the thought of falling off and being like those people or the poor people who can't keep up, yeah. you know, and how much... Not only do we keep them poor, but we use them to police our own behaviour by othering them, by humiliating them, by fearing being like them. And Bauman opened my eyes to all of that in a most... Like benefits, you know, 
Yeah, a bit, a bit like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. And and how does a society reproduce itself based on that level of fear and hatred and insecurity? Um, you know, and while while that whole consumer society is burning the planet up as well, mm. you know, so I see that as fairly a central problem. So so, how, so so the idea about that then is how do you go beyond that and have a, sedu- a more seductive life than buying stuff you didn't know you wanted with money you haven't got to impress people you don't know. You know, how can we do a politics of yeah. time, love, care, and cooperation? So it's balancing the two, isn't it? In, in, in my mind, you seem like someone that's got love and compassion mm. right on, like, right right here. I'm, I'm trying to vocalise it. It's really hard because no one knows what I'm doing with my yeah, hands. hands. His hands are up high, yeah. listener. And then you've got your awareness of just precisely how much, te- you know, all the shit in the world that could happen mm. really close. And mm. you've got them, like, on either shoulder or yeah, in yeah. either hand. Yeah, yeah. You it's know. the best of times, it's the worst of times. Right. You know, and how do you balance those two things off? Yeah. You know, and, um, and it's all becoming sharper. And the sharper it gets... They say it'll either get worse or it'll get better, and our job is to make it better. Right, well, that's that then. That's uh, Neil Lawson and his lovely tones. Thanks so much for that, Neil. You're an absolute legend if you're listening. You have lovely glasses and a very kind face. Kind eyes, kind eyes. That does sound creepy. Far creepier than I intended it to be. But but there, I've said it now. There's no going back on it. Um, So, we're on Twitter fancy that limehouse pod on twitter limehouse pod we're on facebook the facebook is the limehouse podcast i mean that is how that's that's where we're at right now guys nice and simple got to keep things simple if you want to email the show to tell me just what you think of me and uh, my my life and, and how I'm how I'm leading it. Uh, anything political is you know a bonus really. Uh, that is the Limehouse Podcast at gmail.com. So there you go. Thanks so much for tuning in. Your ears are lovelier than a daffodil on the first day of spring, and your eyes are more beautiful than the sunsets in Bangladesh and they are beautiful let me tell you um yeah anyway see you next week and we'll have loads coming up we've got interviews with Greg Mulholland MP and Alistair Carmichael MP and um News just in, Nick Clegg has confirmed that he's going to be uh, d- doing a half hour with me in in, uh, in, a, in next week. Next week, but I'll probably put out the interview a couple of weeks later just to keep you in suspenders. And that's a mum stroke dad joke for you there. Uh, I will say it again in the future, I'm so, sure. So be warned. But above all, look after yourself, look after your neighbours, look after your pets. Okay, because your pets can't talk, so you've got to look after them extra special amount. Okay, yep, thanks very much. Goodbye, take care. Yep, bye, yep. I will, yep. Okay, yep, look, yep. Okay, bye. Thank you.